0: those of you who are tuning in online, I just want to give a fair warning. Um, I'm about to share some things that are graphic. And I know that this may not exactly go along with the celebration that we just did with Ryan, but this is what I feel like the Lord wants for us today. And those of you have younger audiences at home you may want to guard. What I'm going to talk about this morning is never neglected. Never neglected. And um, there's a story and a lot of times I will do some research and I will share stories and I'll usually pick an excerpt from a story that I'd like to share And um, I couldn't share just an excerpt of this story. This is a lengthy story, and it bears your attention and patience as I go through this. I couldn't leave any of it out. But it is very sad, and it's very graphic. The name of this article that appeared about six years ago in the AG News, the name of this story is Seven Years Old and Wanting. To die. And I think we've got a picture, maybe. There was a frigid rain pouring down on that dark January evening. The police officer opening the door asked the scarred and battered eight year old little girl wearing an old pair of shorts and a dirty tank top where her shoes were. She didn't own any. Where was her coat? She didn't have one. The officer gave the little girl's mother a withering look and demanded she find something for her to wear. If he had only known the little girl's full story, prison would have been far, far too good a place for her parents. Looking at Samantha Orr today, one would have never dreamed this beautiful, bright, well-spoken Evangel University senior survived a childhood so dark, so violent, so unimaginable that when the Division of Family Services finally intervened on that day in January of 2002, her case was and still may be considered to be the worst case of child abuse in the history of Greene County. A county ranked as one of the worst counties for child abuse cases in the state of Missouri. Samantha was the third child of seven. When she was just six months old, her older brother and sister, ages two and three, were playing with Samantha in the basement of their Detroit, Michigan home, unattended by a parent. The toddlers placed their baby sister next to a space heater to keep her warm the heater would ignite baby Samantha's blanket resulting in third degree burns on the back of her head right shoulder and back her parents refused to take her to the hospital about a month later someone became aware of the burns of um, uh, the burns on the suffering child and called the authorities the three children were placed in caring foster homes during that time Samantha had skin grafts taken at Skin grafts taken and other operations performed to prepare to repair her burn-damaged skin. Three years later, Samantha's parents, having had two more babies, were granted custody of their of the three older children. Life of the young girl was about to take a vile, terrifying turn. The first couple of months were okay, Samantha recalled, but then things started to change with the family dynamics. I started getting in trouble more often, getting time outs and spankings, and then suddenly it was like a switch flipped and I was a complete outcast. At first, Samantha wasn't wasn't allowed to go outside to play with her siblings or friends. Then she wasn't allowed to play inside with her siblings, only stand in the corner and watch. When the television was turned on, she was forced to stand and face the wall. She was no longer allowed to eat at the table with the family. Instead, leftovers would be tossed to the floor like scraps for a dog. At four years old, she was responsible for hand-washing the family's clothing and putting them in the dryer or hanging them up to dry. She was also responsible for making meals, doing the dishes, and cleaning the entire home. I remember Samantha telling me how her mother made her clean the toilet with her toothbrush and then brush her teeth with it, says Dr. Jean Orr, Samantha's adoptive mother. She was also forced to eat the feces from her baby brother's diaper as punishment, and at other times she would drink water from the tank of the toilet so she wouldn't get in trouble for running the water. Samantha's sleeping arrangements went from bedroom to floor to closet to basement floor. Her siblings were not allowed to speak to her unless it was to tell her something for them. She would go for days without food and if she stole food out of the garbage to stave to stave her incredible hunger her mother would pour vinegar or tabasco sauce down her throat. Samantha also became her mother's frustration outlet as she beat her daily. Each day I would try to be better so I could have something to eat Samantha says. If given the privilege to eat it would it would be leftovers from the plates or my mother would pour Fruit loops on the floor, and that would be my meal. As difficult as it is to imagine, her world was about to grow darker, much darker. Samantha recalls her mother leaving with, leaving with the other kids one Saturday to take them to the park while she was left behind to finish clearing the house. Shortly after her mom left, her dad called her from his bedroom. For the next two hours, he would repeatedly rape her. When he was done, he threatened to kill her if she ever told anyone. After that day, things got worse. She said any time my mom was gone, he would use that time to rape me. And much as, I, as much as I wanted for my mom to be gone to avoid the beatings, I didn't want to be alone with my dad because I knew what he would do to me. During this time, Samantha's family had moved from Wisconsin from and from there when she was about six, they moved to Springfield, Missouri, where, after living in hotels for several months, they got a small house While her siblings were sent to school, she was not permitted to go far even knew she existed few even knew she existed. My parents now fought all the time. Samantha says her siblings would escape to their rooms during these arguments but, and but Samantha did not have a room she would stand shaking against the wall in fear her mother had beaten samantha heavily, hev- samantha's heavily bruised and scarred body daily for years at this point using everything from a switch to a hammer she feared for her life especially following arguments all of all of their anger would finally be directed at me she said i was hit thrown against the wall thrown down the stairs samantha Says the older she got, the more unstable her mother became, growing more demanding and even creating lies so Samantha could be punished more. She would throw things at me, anything she could grab, the telephone, shoes, books, a knife, a frying pan. I still have a crescent-shaped scar in my forehead where the corner of a cookie sheet hit me and knocked me unconscious for three hours. When I woke up, I had, bandaged. I had a bandage on my head and my mom told me to clean up the mess my blood had made. Then came a spark of hope. Her father walked out on the family. The raping stopped. Her mother started dating a friend of her dad's. For a short while, things improved as her mom attempted to keep the abuse of Samantha a secret, but the new stepdad soon caught on and... Instead of putting an end to the abuse he joined in her stepfather took the abuse to a new level, demanding that the other children punish Samantha so she would learn right from wrong in the other, If the other children didn 't physically punish Samantha enough to in his estimation, they would be punished instead, inspired by that fear, the beatings were brutal. I was locked in a tiny cupboard beneath the stove sometimes all day, and I was not a, not allowed to even use the bathroom. Samantha recalls sometimes. They made me crawl into a small dog carrier and would lock the door, then later accused me of stealing something of my some of my brother's socks or underwear and beat me for it, even though I had been locked up all day. It wasn't long before Samantha's stepfather began to rape her, and he held a gun to my head and told me if I told anyone, he would kill me, Samantha says. Anytime my mom was gone, he would rape me. He would make up excuses to get my mom out of the house so he could do what he wanted with me. I feared him even more than my real father. Although Samantha did everything she could to please her mother, nothing was good enough. Her siblings grew up learning to hate Samantha. The younger ones only knowing her by, hey, you, and not her real name. Samantha hated her life, hated herself. She just wanted to die. Samantha clearly remembers the day the doorbell rang that cold, rainy Friday in January 2002 when and two women entered their home. I was standing in the corner of the kitchen where my mom told me to stand so I wouldn't be seen. Samantha says, then my mom calls, calls for me to bring out three glasses of water, so I did. Since I wasn't allowed to sit on the couch, I kneeled in front of my mom. Anytime my mom was in a chair she made me kneel in front of her so she wouldn't have to so I would so she wouldn't have to look up if she needed to tell me to do something. The two ladies were social workers. From the moment Samantha entered the room, her bruises and scarred body along with her hair, which had been shaved off several months before, (coughs) and was now an unkempt mass, were immediate red flags. After some small talk, the ladies took Samantha to a back room, not knowing that these people could be trusted. She began to cry and refused to tell them the truth about her bruises and scars, knowing that if her parents found out she, was, she had said anything, she may not survive the next beating. The police arrived soon after, observed Samantha's battered body, questioned her briefly, and then took all of the children, now numbering seven, out of the home and placed them in foster care. In an unexpected twist, Samantha says she cried when her siblings were taken to other homes because now she couldn't protect them. Up to this point, to spare her brothers and sisters from beatings which they had periodically received, she would take responsibility for things that may have been broken or done. She took the beatings for them despite their hatred for her. The morning after she and her older sister arrived at their foster home, Samantha was shocked by one of the first questions she was asked, what would you like to eat for breakfast? Breakfast? She was allowed to eat breakfast? The foster home provided Samantha kindness and love like like she had not experienced since before her parents picked her up when she was three years old. I also learned to start telling my sister no at this time, Samantha says. I believe there were two outcomes possible if I went Home to my parents, they would kill me if we never went back. I would be safe if I said no. Of course, my sister didn't like that and started a fight, but the other foster kids stuck up for me. It was nice having someone siding with me. Samantha would enter school in February. Although she was old enough to be in second grade, she had never been to school. She didn't know the alphabet or what sounds letters made, much less how to read. She also had a speech impediment, struggling to pronounce her R. She was placed in kindergarten, but was also assigned a speech therapist and a tutor to help her in math and, and would later attend summer school to help her advance in spelling and reading. Three or four years before Samantha arrived in foster care, Evangel Temple, pastored by Charlie Arsenal in Springfield, had sent members to be trained to begin offering their own Royal Kids Camp, a camp specifically for foster children who have come out of extreme abuse. Working with Greene County officials, foster children in the area would be identified to be eligible to attend the camp, which focuses on helping children experience fun, happiness, joy, and the Love of God in a safe environment. Unknown to Samantha, God was already preparing her future. Every camp is required to have a social worker or psychologist on staff to deal with behavioral issues, says Jean Orr, a psychologist and associate professor of psychology at Evangel University. At that time, which was 2002, I helped with coordinating the child placement, selecting kids for camp. When I heard about Samantha, something tugged at my heart. God gave me a love for her before I even met her. However, for Samantha, heading for Royal Family Kids Camp on that bus, that some summer Monday morning was a time of growing terror. Were they, where were they really taking her? Was this a lie and her foster parents were just sending her away because they didn't like her? What would they do to her at this camp? By the time the bus pulled into the camp, she was in near panic mode. When we got to camp, there were a bunch of adults outside screaming and cheering for us with signs uh, with our names on them. Samantha recalls, I got off the bus and I was introduced to my counselor, Nadia. She took me around, introduced me to people, but I was always paying attention to where the door was so I could run if I needed to. But by that night, Samantha's fears had been calm. Maybe this was a good place. The first, the first time I saw Samantha at camp, you could tell she was nervous and didn't smile at all, Jean says. By the midweek... But my midweek, she was smiling, laughing, and getting involved in everything she possibly could because everything was all new to her. One of the most memorable moments, memorable events for Samantha was the big birthday party on Tuesday night where every child's birthday was celebrated and they were given gifts. Samantha had never had a birthday party. In fact, she had never received a birthday present before. I remember opening my present and it was this bright yellow teddy bear with a yellow shirt and a pink flower i really liked it samantha says i started walking across the room with it when one of the counselors asked where i was going i told him i was giving my gift to my sister who was invited to the camp as well because that's what i was supposed to do at christmas i had to give any gifts i received to other people when samantha was assured that the gift was hers to keep suddenly things clicked for her if these people had taken the time to get a gift just for her. They must really care. She felt safe. She felt loved. She felt open to them. It was the best, best week of my childhood, Samantha says. While at camp, I could be a normal kid. That Friday I, when I got on the bus, I knew if I never got the chance to go back to camp, I would still be okay because I now knew what it was like to be a normal kid. Samantha was also oblivious to the fact that during the camp, Jean's love for her was cemented. Jean, who grew up with foster kids in her home, and her husband Daryl began taking the courses that would allow them to be foster parents, knowing that the purpose behind it would be then to adopt Samantha. Through through the process, Jean and Daryl learned that due to the abuse Samantha had endured, they should never expect her to be more than a C student. And would not be able to handle more, the more challenging courses as she grew older. The ors understood, but proceeded to go through foster care qualification process. We were able to have visits with Samantha through the fall more quickly than normal because we had established a relationship at camp. Jean says. In January 2003, she started living with us. Finally, after nearly two years, on October 27, 2004, we were able to adopt her. In fact, all seven children were adopted by other families on the same day. Although Jean admits that they did experience the expected growth pains by adding a fourth child with a baby unexpectedly also on the way, Samantha says she felt loved and like one of the family almost immediately. However, as the family had been forewarned, Samantha struggled academically. But to challenge herself to do better, in the sixth grade she made this childish fantasy goal of graduating at the top of her class. When Samantha was living with her parents, she didn't know God even existed, but through Royal Family Kids Camp and the Oars, she came to know about his love for her. Then one day, when she was nine years old, Samantha told Jean that she learned in Sunday school that if she wanted to be forgiven, she had to forgive others. So she wanted to go pray for her mom and dad and to forgive them. When I forgave my parents and asked Jesus into my heart, a weight was lifted off my heart, Samantha recalls. I knew that God would take care of them and me. I felt free, I felt safe, I didn't have to be afraid, and I knew that my I knew that my life was going to get better. Some may ask, where was God in all of this? Why did He allow Samantha to suffer like this for so long? Samantha says God didn't create sin but he can take what was intended for evil and destruction and redeem it and use it, use it for his glory. Amen. She adds that she still remains thankful to God for someone contacting DFS and saving her from the abuse that she believes would have only ended in her death. Jean is a psychologist, notes that Samantha didn't experience many of the issues that most foster children who have been physically and sexually abused do. I believe God made the difference in her life, Jean says. She still has struggles, but God has helped her to become the most resilient person I know. Samantha has shared her testimony over and over again, and for the past eight years, she has gone back to Royal Family Kids Camp to help foster kids just like her come to know they are beautiful, safe, and loved by the staff, and more importantly, by God. Amen. Wayne Tesh, co-founder of Royal Family Kids Camp, says, The transformation in Samantha's life then that began in Royal Family Kids Camp happened to many of the children that come through the camp. Samantha is the first fruit of years of planting seeds of hope in children's lives, he said and to be able to see her grow develop and be what she is today it's clear to me that she is not defined by her past but instead is able to see what god has for her future and now she's sharing that hope and that love found in god with children who are longing for it i have not had i have had the rare opportunity to share my story with kids at royal family kids camps to let them know that i have had their fears, Samantha explains. I love seeing the kids warm up and open up to the adults and making friends. It's a week of hard work pouring yourself yourself into kids' lives, but that's what camp is all about, providing these kids a week of fun, loving, and happy memories, just like the ones I have. Oh by the way, Samantha did end up graduating as valedictorian and student body president of her high school. But that doesn't mean she she's now some kind of genius, four point, a genius 4.0 college student. No, she has earned a couple of Bs in engineering, physics, and advanced calculus. Oh. And will likely graduate summa cum laude 3.9 or higher who's, who says God isn't a God of miracles. Amen. I just could not read that whole story. It's so powerful. I know that this is a heavy story and a heavy, it's hard to hear. And it would be completely understandable to look at Samantha's life and and know how she felt neglected, how she felt isolated, and how she felt abused. And I'm sure she wondered, why is this happening to me? If you were listening closely, you heard what she said. She said, where was God when and why did he allow this? She said, God didn't create sin, but he can take what was intended for evil and destruction and redeem it to use for his glory, for his purpose. There are some that are hearing this message today that you have been abused, you have been isolated and maybe you feel neglected. And I'm here today to remind you that even those circumstances that may be present to validate your very real feelings, that ungodly people are taking harshness out on you or have done so in the past. Maybe you you just don't understand why things happen or why they have happened, but you that have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, you are not bound to that life of that emotion of feeling neglected and isolated. You are never neglected by God. The scripture that I want to share with you today is Psalm 37. There are contrasting views on how God deals with wicked and ungodly people, but also how He looks after His children. The righteous. Everybody say righteous. Righteous. If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you are the righteous. You are the one that this is talking about. Here's what God tells the righteous. Those who have right standing with God. We do that through our relationship with Jesus Christ. Psalm 37 verse 1. Do not fret. How many ever fretted? That's another word for worry, fret. Do not what? Don't do it. Do not fret because of those who are evil or be envious of those who do wrong. Here's why for like the grass, they will soon wither, the green plants, they will soon die away. And here's another thing that God says for the righteous to do. Verse 3 Trust in the Lord and do good. Trust in the Lord. Everybody say trust. Trust Trust in the Lord. Trust is one of those words that sometimes is difficult. (laughs) Trust is something that you, um, somebody says you earn trust. And you kind of do uh, when you're trusted to do things. And the Bible is full of trust to those who are servants of the Lord. The Bible says uh, that if 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 He can trust us over small things, He can entrust us with larger things and with more responsibility. How many know that the more you know, the more that you're responsible for? The more you can be trusted. That's the way that it works. Trust, the, trust in the Lord and do good. And then He says, dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Dwell in the land, talking about the land of the Lord, and enjoy safe pasture. How many know that when the sheep are going out, they don't have a care in the world. They're not thinking about anything but this green grass that they're all surrounded with. That's what they're thinking. Because they know the shepherd is right there. They don't worry about the attacks. And what the scripture is saying is when you trust in the Lord, all the stuff that's going on, you don't have to be affected by that. There might be a wolf over there, but the shepherd is right here. So you know that you can trust in him. And then verse four, I like what this says. It starts off, take delight. Everybody say "Delight." Delight? delight. Take delight in the Lord. The word delight here means abundant peace. It means blessing. It means well-being. It means that we have to make sure that we incorporate those into our relationship with the Lord, that we enjoy, we receive the peace that God brings through Jesus Christ. We receive his blessing and we know that we have well-being on the inside. And that just got me a, a, um, a new watch for my birthday and it's got this and I've seen these at my job and all that kind of stuff. They have these mindfulness apps. Uh, be mindful. And I had this thing. And I guess I just said it to give me notif- all kinds of notifications. And so I get these mindfulness notifications. It says, you know, take a moment and breathe and do all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, I don't need this. <laughs> I do not. Need- I understand there may be some people. Who don't trust in the Lord that might need those things of those those words of encouragement that aren't really spiritual, but they're just kind of good words. Um, When we trust in the Lord, we can have that sense of well-being. We won't need non-biblically influenced input to cause us to have that sense of well-being. I know there's probably people that need that outside of the relationship with the Lord. But if we delight ourselves in the Lord, then we can be sure that we can rest assured in our well-being. What delight is, is take delight, which means it's an intense desire and enjoyment of the nearness of His presence. I like that. It's intense desire and enjoy the nearness of His presence. How many know that when you are near Him, you can enjoy their presence? There used to be, and I'm dating myself now, but there used to be a commercial that said, it's the next best thing to be in there. Yes. How many remember that yes. saying? Yes. That had to do with the telephone and long distance, whenever there was no such thing as the Internet. Um, and those of you under 25, there was a time when there was no such thing as internet. Um, Anyway, um, but the next best thing to being there, but it's not like being there. Yes, it may be the next best thing to being there, but the nearness of His presence when you have an intense desire to enjoy the presence of the Lord. How do you do that? You do that through worship. You do that through studying the Word of God. It's through that delight and that desire for closeness to him that he places his desires in our heart. Because it says, and he will give you the desires of your heart. The desires of your heart. And when those desires align with his will, it's not like we desire these worldly things. But when we desire things that will build us up. Through Jesus Christ, he places those desires within our heart. Our desires change. How many know our desires change whenever we have a relationship with the Lord? Because we look at it the way he looks at it, not just the way that we look at it. Verse 5 says, commit your way to the Lord. Everybody say commit. 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 Oh, we live in a culture today that is just um, over the top with commitment. No, we don't. We don't. People don't want to commit. They don't want to they just want to be ambiguous about everything. But how many know that being wishy-washy is not something that we have that we can do. We can't get by spiritually being wishy-washy or being just kind of a little bit in. How many can appreciate somebody that's got passion and they've got desire and they've got They've got a, just a fire within them. There's a lot of people that have passion and, and, and have a commitment to a lot of things that may not even be spiritual. They may be good things. There may be somebody who, and, and I know we're getting close to lunchtime, but there may be somebody that they're committed to a particular restaurant. If they get a choice to go to whatever restaurant, they want to go to that one. They're committed to going to that one because that one has the very greatest thing that they like to get. Maybe they're committed to the one that gives them the most choice. Maybe they're committed to the one that gives them the best service. And you know beyond a shadow of a doubt. Went to Target the other day. We don't go to Target very often. But I went there. And I was looking for something. And I asked this lady. And this is why I remember that. Because when I asked her, her face lit up. She smiled at me. And she says, oh, yes, those are right over here. Let me show you where they are. And she it was like she just bubbled over with joy that she could take me on this journey to find what we were looking for. And I thought, you know, I didn't think it now, but it comes to mind that she's committed to her work. She enjoys her work. How would it be if the people of God and we commit ourselves to the Lord and people see that trust him Trust in him and he will do this. Verse 6 says, He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn. How many know that you are you will be rewarded? That your righteous reward will shine like the dawn, but only not, not only that, but your vindication. That means the justification, the proof that you are right in your relationship with the Lord will be like the noonday sun, will be the brightest radiance. So we don't have to worry about. Getting even with somebody else. We don't have to worry about vindication that, that the Lord's way is right. When we commit ourselves to Him, it will be proven by His blessing and His honor. Be still, verse 7. Everybody they say, Be still. Be still. That is something that many find challenges with. Being still. I, you know, I can't, I can't even begin to tell you how many times my mama told me that. Be still. Be still. When I was little, you know, how many know that when you're three, four, or five years old, it's cool to take a nap next to your mama. It's okay. Unless you're a wiggle worm, wiggle worm, whatever you want to call it. And I can remember my mom, she's trying to, to take a nap with me and, I'm, and she's like, be still, be still. I'm like, I move a little bit. She's like, be still. I'm like, eventually I did when I fell asleep or at least I thought now Journey's been sleeping in our bed the last couple of nights because her parents are away and uh, I gotta tell you um, there's not an understanding for her to be still and she's not responsible for how she sleeps but I do know this I lost feeling in my arm from here down because she had me pushed up against the side of the bed and my arm was resting there and I'm like, she's like right here and I had to kind of move her over. And she, she turned sideways. When I got up this morning, she was sideways. But it's all good. And there it is again. Well, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. How many of you just have patience? How many of you are patient people? There are some that are. I consider myself a pretty patient person. There are some people that are. There are some people that struggle with it. I'm patient uh, when I have to be. It's hard sometimes. But as we wait patiently for Him, and there it is again do not fret. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. I haven't gotten to where the point I'm going yet, but we're getting there. These beginning <laughs> verses in this chapter really set the stage for the confirmation for the people of God, that the people of God are never neglected. And here it is. When you, when, you, when you don't fret, when you trust in the Lord, when you commit your ways to Him, when you are still before the Lord, and when you wait patiently for Him, I want you to look at verse 23. The Lord makes Firm the steps of the one who delights in Him. There it is again. That intense, insatiable desire to say, I have to be closer to the Lord than anything else. I have to experience His abundant peace, His blessing, and the well-being that He brings to my life. And I do that from a close relationship with Him. I go to my prayer closet. I, 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 I read the Word of God, and I fellowship with other godly people in my life. I worship corporately with other people. I do that. There it is again. We have the assurance that our faltering uncertainty at times at times steps will our steps will be made firm because we delight in that intense closeness with him. And verse 24 says, though he may stumble, how many know we might stumble from time to time. Amen. He will not fall. For the Lord upholds him with His hand. For the Lord upholds Him with His hand. We may stumble. We may fall. We may feel like things are just pressing in. We may feel like that nobody cares, that nobody's around. We may feel isolated. We may even feel abused. We may feel neglected. But when we feel that way, just remember when we take delight in the Lord that our feet, even though we may stumble, we won't fall as long as we've got our hand placed in the hand of Jesus Christ and we say, Lord, I'm going to trust in You always all the time I'm going to trust in you and here's why this is the verse that I want to get to verse 25 David said this he said I was young and now I am old Yet I have never, everybody say never. I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. They are always generous and lend freely. Their children will be a blessing. David, this aged man of God is personally, he was... He was speaking out of his personal experience and what he has seen personally. The Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. This man of God says, I was young and I've lived my life and as an old man, I have never one time seen the righteous forsaken. I have never one time seen God abandon his people. I have one time never seen anyone neglected that put their faith and their trust in the Lord. He's never left them. The righteous will never be forsaken. They will never be neglected. There will be trials that come. There will be horrible things that may happen to make you feel neglected, that make you feel abused, that make you feel afraid. How many know that we cannot serve a God based on our feelings alone? Feelings are not enough. Feelings can mislead you into directions that you hadn't ought to go. The Word of God is more powerful than anything when you get this Word of God into your heart and into your life. Then when the enemy comes in, then like a flood, the river, the the, the, the power of God, the Spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard. This is the standard. The standard is the Word of God. It never changes. It's always true and it will always be there and you can always count on it it will defeat the power of darkness and the gloom of despair when you are the righteous you can know for certain that you will never be neglected just before the Israelites were to enter the promised land on their journey from the horrors of Egypt This is what Moses confirmed to the people of God in Deuteronomy 31, 6. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. The New Testament puts it this way in Hebrews 13 and 5 keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we've got to, I know this brings in a point about, in Hebrews 13, 5 about, about bringing in the love of money and being content with what we have. Many times our human. Our human nature is to look at our lives and say, there's got to be more than this. I'm going to look at other things to pursue. But when we pursue Jesus Christ, we know that we can be content where we are in our life, even though it may not be certain. There may be certain aspects that aren't good and there aren't things that we like. But spiritually speaking, we can be content And he said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So we say in confidence, here it is, verse 6, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? What can mere mortals do to me? That's Hebrews 13 and 6. The Lord is my helper. How many know the Lord is your helper? And in Matthew 28, 16. I apologize I didn't get some of these scriptures up there. Matthew 28, 16. This was was the Great Commission. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him. They worshipped him. They worshipped him. But some doubted. There's a clear division there. Some worshipped him, some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to (coughs) obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This message, this commission, this charge that Jesus gives is one that is designed for us to be able to tell the good news of Jesus Christ. And some people may think, I can't even really think about talking to other people about the good news when I'm struggling and I'm going through all of this stuff. That's exactly why. The devil doesn't want you to get to this part because he wants to keep you tied up in the other part where you feel so neglected, isolated, abused, and alone that he he has you all tied up in your stuff that you can't even think or fathom about telling somebody about Jesus. Can I just be real this morning? Can I tell you, if you get out of your environment get that stuff out of your mind and out of your spirit and say Lord I'm going to hold on to you I'm going to trust you I am going to be still before you and I'm going to take in your word and I'm going to purpose that even though my circumstances may not change I'm going to put them over here to the side I'm going to commit them to you I'm going to trust you with them and when those circumstances are in your care that I can get to the place where, Lord, I've got to tell somebody about the goodness of the Lord because I've experienced His goodness. I'm delighting myself in the Lord. I remember a lady when I was a teenager that was going through hardship, financial hardship. I knew she had struggles as a single mom at home. She had trouble being able to You know, she had broken appliances at home. I'm sure she struggled to put gas in her gas tank. Back then, it was just over a buck a gallon. I never heard that woman once complain. And I always saw her smiling. And she was, I used to, this is a time when I lived in Longview, Texas with my mom. And we lived there for about a year. And she was giving me a ride home from church one day. And I asked her, I said, I know that you're going through stuff. I said, how? And I'm 15 years old and I'm asking her this question. I said, how is it that you can be so happy? And she said, I may, I never forgot this. She said, I may be going through the worst struggle in my life, but you will never know it. Amen. Because the joy that she, she exudes from her spirit is something that she has settled with God. She is delighting herself in the Lord, and it shows it comes out of her character. It comes out. How many you have ever encountered a crotchy person? My former pastor said, some people wonder why old people uh you know, sometimes they're crotchety. He said they didn't, they didn't turn old and get crotchety, they were young and crotchety. It wasn't that age had anything to do with it. It's just that they've always been that way and now it's just accentuated more because their filter's kind of gone away a little bit. Who you are on the inside is meant for others to see. And it's only, it's through the power of Jesus Christ. When he saves your soul, he sets you free from sin. And he sets you free from the oppressive power of the enemy. He sets you free from the destruction of his his torment that he comes after you. And yes, when you try to do anything for God, he's going to come at you with everything that he's got. He's going to try this. And if this doesn't work, He's going to try something else. And if you're under the attack of the enemy, I think you need to stand up firm and say, well, I must be doing something right. I'm t- I'm starting to delight myself in the Lord even more. And He doesn't like it. Absolutely He doesn't like it because when you delight yourself in the Lord, when you have that intense passion, that intense desire to see the things of God, to have them come experience in your life, when you have that, that craving on the enemy, inside for that spiritual sustenance that only Jesus can give only through the word of God the enemy wants to stop every way every time that he can and when you recognize that you just say I am not letting up how many know that it's always the spiritual things that go first that's what the enemy wants if he can have something happen, he'll have it happen on a time when you're going to be reading your Bible. Or he'll have it happen on a time when you're supposed to be going to church. Or he'll have it happen at a time that is something else that's, that's spiritual. I mean, he, there's other things that happen. But anything that can cause you to be derailed. Oh, I'm going to attract you with a new job. Oh, but you've got to give up your church to go to the new job. Uh-uh, I don't think so. I don't, I've been down that road. It don't work out well. But when God's people say and realize that I'm going to delight myself in the Lord. Jesus is always with us. Even when we face hardships of every kind we can have the same outlook that Samantha had based on Romans 8.28. You can hold on to this verse. Romans 8.28 says this, and we know that in all things this is in the context of suffering for the Lord. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him. When you love God, all these things are going to work out. It's going to work out. Who have been called according to His purpose. His purpose. See, we don't live for our own purpose. Those feelings of neglect, and those feelings of sorrow, those feelings of, of just pain, we don't have to be prisoners. Now, Samantha, she was a prisoner, literally, of that environment that, we, that she was in. And she could have chosen to allow that to cripple her the rest of her life. But we must get past. Many people never ever endure that kind of hardship but they endure spiritual hardship they endure emotional pain they endure scars that last for years and i'm here today to tell you that you don't have to feel that way because you are never neglected by the son of god jesus christ he has your best interest at heart and if you trust him for your salvation trust him for everything else as well and all of these things are going to work together because he wants to be putting you in the place where you can share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ as a child of God we will never be abandoned we'll be never left alone and certainly never neglected because of Jesus and his love for us there's an old song I didn't pull the words for but it just simply says never alone never alone I anybody's mean, ever heard that song never alone we're never alone with Jesus there's a difference in being alone and feeling alone you can physically be by yourself but you don't ever have to be alone. Because you're never neglected. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, for the reminder of who you are. I thank you, God, because we're never neglected. That, Lord, in the midst of all circumstances that are harsh and difficult, that, Lord, you remind us when we delight ourselves in you, when we trust in you for all of these things, that God, you will carry us through. We thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Lord, I just turn those things over to you. Hallelujah. Thank you. Maybe I've never put my faith in Jesus and I need to do that right now. Maybe I've put my faith in Him, but I've kind of strayed and I need to recommit my life to Him. I want to do that today, Jesus. Maybe I've just had an overwhelming sense of burden and feeling alone and neglected and isolated. I need you, Jesus, right now. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. In your precious name, amen. We're going to have a special time of prayer just a moment after we sing this song. Through it all, I think we've got the words there. You can sing it again. I've had many tears and sorrows, I've had questions for tomorrow, there've been times I didn't know right from wrong, but in every situation, God gave blessed consolation, let my trials come to only Make me strong. Let's go to verse 2. I've been to lots of places and I've seen a lot of faces. There have been times I've felt so all alone. But in my lonely hours, yes, those precious lonely hours. Jesus, let me know that I was His own. Verse number three, we're going to sing this through. I thank God for the mountains and I thank Him for the valleys. I thank Him for the storms He brought me through. For if I never had a problem, I wouldn't know that he could solve them I'd never know what faith in God could do Sing it together Through it all Through it all I've learned to trust in Jesus I've learned to trust in God Through it all through it all, i learned to depend upon His Word. Right now we're going to have prayer with our online audience. Whether you're watching today and something in this message has spoken to you. You feel like you've gone through a lot, but Jesus is your answer. Right now I'm going to agree with you. That you're never neglected when you trust in Him. Would you pray right now for our online audience? Lord, we come to you right now for everybody that's tuning in, that's watching, this listening. And we believe God in the power of prayer. We believe God in the power of surrender. And today, we just accept the full lordship of Jesus Christ into our hearts and lives. We accept you, Jesus, for who you are. We accept the word of God and the relevancy in our lives. And today, Lord, all of these things that are coming at us and against us, we come before you today. And we bind those up and cast them at your feet Knowing that you can solve them. You can fix them. Lord, we trust in you. We're going to have an intense desire for you, God. We're going to begin to delight ourselves in the Lord. We're going to commit and recommit our hearts to you. In the name of Jesus. And we do so today through your blood that you shed on the cross. Lord, to wash away every sin, to cleanse every stain, to heal every broken body, to heal every tormented spirit, every emotion that is not the way that it should be. God, we come against those demonic forces that are trying to pull drug addicts back into the realm where they came from. And today we are not going to stand for it anymore. We thank you for your delivering power as we trust in you, Jesus, right now in Jesus name. In Jesus' name, I receive it and praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Online audience, we want to hear from you. Send us a message. Tell us what God has done in your life. You need three things. You need to get into the word of God. You need to get into your Bible. Do those things often. And you need to worship in person with a body of believers if at all possible. I know there's physical limitations that keep some from being able to do that. But if you're able to do it, you need to do it. Those things will keep you strong in your faith. And we trust God and thank God and rejoice that the Lord is touching you and blessing you today. God bless you. We're going to have a time of prayer in the house after we let our online audience go. So thank you for tuning in. God bless you.